the European Championships underway. It's been eventful so far. Arnautovic and Yarmolenko have scored more goals in the Euros than they have for West Ham. Hey, I already object to this opener that we've done because Arnautovic was great for the Amers and Yarmolenko, yeah, you can have that one. That's fine. Uh, Tom Rennie and Brian Dunseth with you. It is Week in the Tackle. We are back with you after our respective holidays. And Dunny, I'm still in that real holiday mood. I've got sunburn on my forehead. I know you've got your own burns, which we want to know about. The audience want to know about your red sensitive areas. But I'm so holiday still. A, no shoes. B, swim shorts. And C, Hawaiian shirt, baby. I'm still there. So I I, I have so many questions about this Hawaiian shirt. What classifies this as a Hawaiian shirt? Because the leaves are from a specific type of tree that only grow in Hawaii. So says the Levi's publicity material when they originally (laughs) made this shirt. (laughs) I'm not an expert on leaves. I'm not like Charles Darwin. I don't live in the Galapagos studying leaves my entire life. I would love... It's green. It's a certain type of green. You only find it in the Galapagos. That was my Charles Darwin impression. Yeah, it was was slightly worse than my Brendan Rodgers. Darwin's probably more more Attenborough. It's a leaf only found in the Galapagos. But that's that's just Attenborough. I can't wait till you find out that's not a Hawaiian leaf. That's more like a like an Alabama special right there. What's an Alabama special? That sounds like a type of weed. No, I'm not sure. But just that you feel as though may, it might be an Alabama special weed. Weed is in something you grow and sell as opposed to a weed you find in the garden. And then Correct. you have to get someone to dig you out for you as well. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm with but you. weed is like legal in like most of America now, right? So you can do that joke without fear of, of reprisal. <laughs> Retribution. We love weed. It's great. Yeah, etc. Do you like the shirt? That's what I'm saying. Do you like the shirt? I am intrigued by the shirt. It's not that I did. I I don't know if I could pull that shirt off. No. Well, buy me a drink first. Right. Let's get on with it. Lots to get through. Week in the tackle. Heavy topics. We had some fun to start. What more do you want? Well, let's start with this story because it it was such a a horrible thing. It really, really was. And we've had some good news from it, uh, which is great by the time we record this program. Um, At the weekend... Most of you listening, if not all of you listening, would have seen the, the horrible scenes uh, in the Denmark match where Christian Eriksen of Tottenham Hotspur, Ajax into Milan fame, uh, suffered a cardiac arrest. That has been confirmed now. He suffered a cardiac arrest on the field, was given cardiac resuscitation and defibrillation, and he is now in hospital. He's been texting his teammates, speaking to his family. So to the point we're at now, he has made a recovery. And let's talk about this in, in, in detail because it was such a horrible thing. And I think yeah. that there were some elements to it that were brilliantly handled by a lot of people. And there were elements to it that, that weren't greatly handled. But before we get to all of that, firstly, Danny, it, it is great news as we record this, that whatever happens next with his career, uh, and, and we don't know, you know, people come back from, from terrible injuries. Some do, some don't. Um, but he is alive and seemingly well. And that is for all of us, just great news. It's the only thing that matters. It's the human element in this sporting spectacle that we find ourselves tuned into each and every morning or afternoon, depending upon where you're at. Horrifying scenes. And for for a lot of people, it invoked so many different horrific memories, whether they were personal or professional uh, friendships. I was telling you guys, I, I had a friend that I played with in Sweden, a teammate, um, that after a few years after we played together, they discovered a heart issue. Um, mm. He was out for the better part of a year. 
medically cleared, stepped on the field, scored a goal. He was a forward, ran back to the midfield stripe, fell over him and died. Watching, watching, I was telling you guys that I, I actually rewound it twice to try to figure out what the telltale signs were. And there were no telltale signs. The attacking phase of play, ball goes out for a throw. He's turning his right shoulders to the goal. He turns to his left. He's getting ready to get the throw in. Finland is very slow to apply any pressure, and he just starts leaning, hands to the side of the body, and he collapses. And thank God for Simon Kier recognizing the severity of the situation, getting him into the recovery position, clearing his airways, making sure that his tongue wasn't swallowed. Thank God for Anthony Taylor, the referee who immediately blew the whistle to understand the significance of the situation and to the medical providers to get them onto the field as quickly as possible. And the respect shown from the players to give him some sense of privacy to understand and recognize in the moment how horrific it was. And some people could handle it. Some people couldn't. You know, you see the players in tears trying to create some some type of a veil of protection while Emil Hoiberg is on the other side and, and it seemingly couldn't be anywhere near it. But the situation itself turned into, I think, a critical juncture on a broadcast side. And just for everyone out there, you and I have, have these perspectives of being a part of broadcasts. And so for anyone out there to understand the broadcast is provided by UEFA. It is the quote-unquote world feed. You have a director and producer on site. All the trucks, the TV trucks, personnel are on site in Copenhagen. And that world feed is taken by all of the uh, whoever's purchased the world feed. So here in the United States, it's the ESPN. For over there, it was the BBC. Whatever location you found yourself in with that production, that's where it came from. It originated in Copenhagen. And Tom, you know, the debate, constantly is when is it enough when, when is it enough how do we cut away when do we walk yeah. away from whatever the visuals are and you and i were talking before the show i would assume the mentality isn't to show in the truck in the moment isn't to show these horrifying scenes to glorify them it is to understand that usually when there's an injury you know, you prepare for the worst, right? It's a double tip fib fracture or an ankle dislocation or, you know, uh, uh, like Castagna, you see the side of his face where you you could obviously tell there's some type of fracture. But walking off the field, you know, how many times have we seen players sit up and put their hand up or acknowledge yeah. even on the, even, even being carted off, they're acknowledging the fans. This was a tough swallow. It was the fall. It was his face. It was the chest compressions. It was the defibrillator. It was his partner, the mother of his children, and yeah. the players kind of going back and trying to relay information of what was a truly, truly horrific scene. And I was saying with Kevin Egan on our Euro Express show on the weekends on Sirius XMFC Channel 157 that these are moments where we will always refer to the Christian Eriksen incident yeah. associated with Euro 2020-2021? Well, look, uh, firstly, you know, it, it's a tough situation in, in broadcasting now. You know, we, we don't want to dwell too much on this insular, you know, we look at broadcasting as broadcasters thing. But I will say that um, I think the zooming in on his uh, on his face was, was too much. And I, I you know, I kind of wish I didn't see it. And, you know, my wife and I were watching it uh, as, as many people listening were live and, you know, we were quite distressed by it, as many people were. And I think that I could have done without it. 
you know, I, I think but I also have a lot of sympathy with people in those rooms running those shows because, look, they've had a career, a lot of these guys, and I don't know them personally, the guys running at UEFA, but they would have been zooming in to see if he'd pulled his hamstring, you know. Yeah. There, there, is a, there is a broadcast protocol for such things, but, look, we don't always follow the exact protocols given to us because they might not have noticed they're happening. You know, you've got one director, multiple people, and they're going camera one, camera four, camera three, switching, switching, switching live. It's a very, very difficult, very complicated job. And I think that after a while, they did follow that protocol of the, of the long distance. And look, individual broadcasters, you would have watched ESPN in America. I watched it on BBC, as you mentioned. They could have pulled away further. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I was watching it on the BBC. And when they cut back to it, it was Gary Lineker, who's one of the great broadcasters, in my opinion. Um, Alex Scott was there and a few other people. I forget the others, Michael Richards, I think. And they were obviously very distressed by what had happened. All four in the studio. I think Alan Shearer was the other I was watching. These are professional footballers of all played at the very highest level of the game. And sometimes when you watch something like that, I'm not quite ready to come back right now. I imagine they all needed a couple of minutes to compose themselves. So it's yeah. a case of we're coming back to you. I'm going to need a minute here. Yeah. You know, Craig Burley was like that at the ESPN desk. Craig Burley was like that. Not so, they, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. It was, you've probably had it as well, but I've announced people's deaths on air. Friends of mine have died and people that I've known. And it's very, very difficult. Yeah. And so maybe they need more time. I don't know. But I, I don't think we need to dwell on that too much. I think everyone handled it as best they possibly could. And I don't think that, that people were being intentionally ghoulish. And I think that is a a false row that, that, that people get into because, look, it was an incredibly emotional moment for people and Twitter's Twitter. What can you do? Listen, the, the, the way on the field as well, before we get to, there's some real negatives to this that I do want to bring up. It's well worth bringing up. Uh, but on the field, uh, the way that it was handled was, was absolutely magnificent. And as you know, and, and people listening will know, on our shows a few years ago, we had Fabrice Muamba was part of our broadcast team. I did some games with him. I know him a little bit. And he's, he's such a lovely, lovely man. And he famously, back in 2012, playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, White Hart Lane, uh, had a cardiac arrest. Now, Christian Eriksen, thankfully, had one defib and he was okay. Uh, Fabrice had 15 on the field at a packed White Hart Lane, and he was technically dead for 78 minutes. And he's come back as, as well as he can be. Uh, I haven't seen him for a couple of years now, but I know that he, he was interviewed for the Times recently and he suffered some long-term memory loss. He recently announced having another baby, him and his wife. It was his girlfriend at the time. And he has done a lot of work. And in fact, from that incident, I did my CPR training, my St. John's Ambulance we have in this country. Uh, CPR training, defibrillation training. So I've had all that. And you know what? When it comes to having seen this incident, I saw a report in the, the newspapers from Denmark and around the world as well, that signups for CPR, signups for training how to use defibs have gone through the roof in the last couple of days because people are like, I always worry. You know, me and my dad play golf. My dad's 65, 66. And I worry, which is one of the reasons I did yeah, it as well. Yeah. What if he collapses out on the golf course? Yeah. Because Mwamba always says, it happened to me at the right place at the right time. There was a 100%. heart specialist in the crowd, a white heart lane who came out uh, and they had a defibrillator there. And so they could do it. But I haven't got one in my house. Yeah. Uh, and there's a statistic, and I don't want to butcher this. So please, please Google this yourselves but your chances of survival if you have a cardiac arrest, if you're near a defibrillator, are significantly, significant. I won't give the percentages here, but significantly higher yeah. if you get defibrillated as opposed to CPR in those early minutes, which he was. And look, they have one pitch side. They have doctor's pitch side. Uh, it's clear that Simon Kier knew CPR. 
it's clear, I think, that most people, a lot of people there knew what was happening. You see Kasper Schmeichel pulling people away when the medical staff were there. People involved on the ground, at the ground, did not panic, and they did their jobs. And that's what you want in that situation. And everyone there should be just commended to the highest possible degree that that's what they did. Tom, I, I was saying here in the United States after, because uh, Kevin Egan and I came on air after the Belgium game um, for our Euro Express coverage. And the one thing I was saying, and we had uh, George Champas, who's the U.S. soccer chief medical officer, the head of everything that U.S. soccer does. And it was, it was a really fascinating conversation to understand from a U.S. perspective, should something like this happen? What's, what's, what's protocol? What's availability? All of these things. And and one of the things when we got off that we were that, that Kevin and I were talking about is hopefully there's obviously a renewed sense of understanding of the significance and the severity of the situation that could transpire at any level from youth soccer all the way up to the professional or the international level. But on top of that, why don't we add mandatory CPR classes? They're just as vital as concussion awareness in situations like this for every coach at every level. And then on top of this, making sure whether it's, you know, the England FA or it's U.S. soccer or whatever, that there's a part of the kitty, a part of the money that's made available that can offset some of the cost of these defibrillators so that teams, rec teams or whatever, there can be a defibrillator on site. Because talking to George Champas, he was saying that the moment that the the paddles come off the machine itself and they're placed on a patient's chest, it literally talks you yes, through yeah, what to do. And he said, the moment that it goes on the chest, it will not shock the body if it detects a heartbeat. So to see the images and that have that information, it's it, it truly is incredible. So hopefully there's, to your point, mandatory CPR. I'd love for the players. Players have so much time on their hands when they're, when they're at the training facility to have some type of, of mandatory CPR classes. Because as you said, uh, I think whether you're talking about Simone Kerr, you're talking about Cash for Michael, you're talking about Thomas Delaney and the way that he kind of formed the wall and got everyone to come in. Yeah. You're talking about uh, Anthony Taylor being on top of his game as a referee and, and spotting the distress immediately or the professionals, the health professionals. And by the way, sub note, if you, if you missed it, and I think a lot of people did because of the severity of the situation, not just the, the Danish and the Finnish fans going back and forth, Christian, hmm. Ericsson, not just that. I don't know if you caught this, but in behind Christian Ericsson, as he's being carted off behind his head, there's a Finnish flag. A Finnish fan gave the workers on the field a Finnish flag, and they're holding it up, trying to give him a little bit more of the privacy because you saw some of the, the towels that were being held up on the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's behind. And I and I, I just, it was such like a touching image for me that, okay, it's not just about sport. It's about humanity. It's not just about representation of country, color, creed, nationality, religion, whatever it may be. It was just about this human being and making sure that he was stable and that they could uh, start the process of transporting him to the to the hospital as soon as possible. Now, look, everyone on the field, um, and we mentioned a lot of people um, to this point already, but they did a tremendous job. But let's talk a little wider now, because th- there are some some other issues here that are certainly worth discussing for us. Uh, and we'll get to some of the fun stuff. Don't worry. We- I've got some good stuff about a little car lined up later. You're going to very much enjoy. <laughs> but let's talk about some of this. I know the British Heart Foundation and, and, and Freeze Remember, we mentioned earlier on, have been doing a lot of work to get uh, defibrillators to uh, all football clubs in the United Kingdom. I, I don't know what the story is in, in, in the US, and, and maybe you do, but... Um, there's a scheme they put in a couple of years ago that I did a show on. They put millions of pounds into getting 
uh, defibrillation machines to a lot of clubs. They're not every club as yet, because as you say, they cost a lot of money. And a lot of clubs at the very lowest levels don't have them, but of course they can save lives. Uh, but there was another story that, again, I covered this a few years ago, and it just keeps, it does come around again. It, it happened um, around the anniversary of the death of Mark Vivian Foe, who played for West Ham and played for Manchester City, was yeah. a tremendous player. There was a study of footballers which said that there was a risk of cardiac arrest and it was getting higher and higher. And potentially the risk of cardiac arrests was higher than previously believed. It was a study done by St. George's, uh, which is a uh, part of University of London. They did a 10-year study of young players, older players, professional players, amateur players, and they found that there wasn't enough uh, focus on the heart health of footballers and maybe the health in general of footballers. And they spoke to people like uh, Dewan Kukanu, who played for Arsenal, had open heart surgery when yeah, he was yeah, yeah. a player. And then he came back to play afterwards. And Daley Blint, son of Danny. Yeah, he was exactly UCLA right. Yeah, yeah. And um, Daley Blint, who actually played the following day for the Dutch, he has, it might be a pacemaker. I'll need to double check that. But he has, he had a heart operation to to keep him playing. So he spoke quite emotionally about it. He was, he was feeling it quite... He didn't know whether he should play or not because he had heart surgery uh, before he before he left Man United and, and plays on with it. Um, and in fact, my brother-in-law's brother had a surgery recently where he has a, a pacemaker fitted just because he didn't know he had this heart issue and his heart yeah. could have stopped any time. So anyway, there's these, there's these elements that are all running and I'm not going to come on here and pretend I'm an expert in these things. But we do have to have a discussion, at least briefly, about the fact that once upon a time, the European Championships was four teams then it was eight teams, then 16 teams. Now it's 24 teams. We've been mm -hmm. speaking a lot about the Champions League going to, currently they're still pushing ahead with this 10 group game thing, which is nonsense in many ways. Pep Guardiola was speaking this season about, and he used this phrase, so I'm going to use it here, consider it insensitive if you like, but this is quoting Pep Guardiola. He said the schedule is going to kill players. That is what he said. Now, whether he was using dramatic emphasis, yeah, there's a certain prescience to it now. Yeah. And yet there's more games, more games, more games. I mean, again, let, I don't, I'm not coming to you like you're going to be a medical expert. Here, no, 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 played, no, no. You played all over yeah. Europe. You played all over the world. You had a long career. You speak to footballers. You're still at grounds all the time. You know a lot of players, all of that. So you're a good person to speak to about it. How do you protect players from playing too many games? And is this part you can't, of it? You can't. You can't, Tom. It, 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 pure and simple. And again... I'm not a medical expert. That's obvious. Do you I think they're make... related, though? So I probably ask you back. Do you think that there could there's a relation? I think there? they're absolutely related. I think anything. Well, not not just the heart issues. I, I think we'll in time find out the explanation for Christian Eriksen. We'll get a, a deeper understanding of maybe what transpired. I, I've been I've been saying this for years. You let's just go back to 2018 in the World Cup in Russia. These players and the and the length of the tournament takes you right into the start of the season. So some mm. of these guys, some of these players had already played over a calendar year of football to then get into the knockout stages of the 2018 world cup in Russia, and then are asked to return with less than three to four weeks holiday. There's been no break. And then we expect them to come in. I, I, I did the numbers and I think it was somewhere around like 52 games that Christian Erickson has played um, since the resumption of football after the, the coronavirus break. It was, so, it was somewhere in right there. And he, he's on the lower end of the elite of the elite players that are playing every single week. And again, injuries, concerns, all of this, you, you can have these you know, crazy injuries happen. It, stuff can happen at practice. You, know, you, you never know. But Tom, the reality is 
all of these tournaments, all, all, you know, it used to be just, you know, friendlies, right? You go, you go with your national team, you play 60 minutes, you play 45 minutes and you're off. All of a sudden every game matters. Nations league, the coefficient, you know, qualification. There's no game where you can just phone it in. If you have a game where you do phone it in, and my yeah. God, I phone in some radio shows I do for Sirius XMFC. I think everyone could agree on that. Um, <laughs> and certainly this podcast, I'm massively phoning this in, but I've not got millions of people around the world slagging me off on every social media for possible sure. if I have one bad game. Because Tom, here, here's the reality. In context, none of us are, are truly understanding what these players are going through. None of it. And, and this year, as much as it was the physical side, it was the mental side as well. Because think about all these footballers that don't have family, don't have people living with them, that are going back to their flats, going back to their to their to their apartments, and you know they're by themselves for the rest of the whatever eighteen hours of the day. So the mental grind this season is one thing that we've talked about over and over and over. The physical grind of these players, expecting them to play at the highest level. The the, the reality is, Tom, we don't care. We, we don't care about the players because we only do one thing. We judge them between the white lines when the whistle blows. That's it. For 90-plus minutes, that's what we judge them But on. you and I aren't meant to care, are we? The people no. that are meant to care are the administrators yes. and the medical professionals who are meant to have a bit more power on it. I'm not supposed to care because that isn't the level – if I was a fan, for example – I'm not supposed to be talking about no. the the health of the players. I expect the professionals who work there yeah. to have taken full care of the health of the players. He's on but 200 this goes grand back a week. The... Why should I care about well, that? Exactly. He's well, exactly. But that's, but that's I it. think that is not an illegitimate yeah, point of view it. because that is not as a fan. I'm not meant to be like, but what about his what about his mental health? What about his yeah. heart health? What about this? What about that? That is the job of the professionals, and that is the job of the administrators and all yeah. those people, and they're the ones putting them through it. And at what point, and again, I don't know if this is what caused the issue that Christian Eriksen has had, and I'm, I'm very interested to find out, but with studies saying that there is more of a risk than ever before, with these stories coming up more and more, with the injuries that are happening, with all this sort of stuff, with what Pep Guardiola has said recently, and if we can't trust Pep Guardiola, we, we joked about Arsene Wenger when he talked about the red zone. If we can't trust these people to have the wealth of their players at heart and take them on face value, and yeah. we're not going to action it, then why are we even asking them questions? No, 100%. I think you're correct because we dismiss all of it because, again, we're talking about world-class athletes. So we're saying, ah, you're just complaining. You're having a moan. You've got all the money in the world. This is what you're doing. You know, I, I understand. A quick side story for me. I went through all of these th- these protocols. Every time I've I, over here, it's not transferred, traded. We had to go through extensive medical background stuff. And, and my grandfather died of a heart attack. My uncle died of a heart attack. My mom just had a pacemaker put in last summer. I did this like 13 mile hike yesterday up in the mountains. And my watch, one of the reasons why I got one of these Apple iWatches is to keep an eye on my heart rate. I was at 193. 193 was my heart rate at altitude. And uh, my wife is just so, she sat next to me. We were watching the game. Very rarely ever watches a game. I was like, Jay, get in here, watch. You have to see this player just collapsed. And she just looks at me and she's like, this is why I'm so concerned about you. And amongst ex-athletes, if there's any heart issues in their family, in the back of our mind, there is a concern. Glenn Myernick, Glenn Mooch Myernick was a was a, a pretty, he, so he was an assistant coach for like Bruce Arena and the Olympic team. He was a head coach for the Colorado Rapids, a really high level player, coach of the under 23s back in the day. He went out for a run and passed away in Colorado, had a heart mm-hmm. attack and passed away. And And so... This isn't just singular to soccer. 
but the overall conversation about general health awareness, personal health awareness, and I don't know where the level is or the line is, if you will, about this conversation of, is it too many games? But it's not a direct correlation to Christian Erickson's heart issue, yeah. but there needs to be more of a general awareness of the pressure that we find these players being put in to perform at the highest level multiple times a week 100 yes and it'll be lovely if the people who ran the game uh cared about that sort of thing as well one final question related to that and we do want to move on but they played the game which we should mention one of their pals had a heart attack and died for five minutes on the field yeah and four hours later they played the game and they were told um so we are told we can play tonight or we can play in the morning and that's all the time we've got for you what do you want to do and if you look at that hoibia penalty Look at Kasper Schmeichel trying to make the save. Simon Kerr subbed off. The players warming up in tears. I I mean, I don't mean to be funny, guys, but could we not have found something else to do? I mean, I I don't don't know what the right solution is, but it isn't. We kick off in half hour, I would would suggest. So, yeah, the complexity of the situation. I, I was saying, as a player, there are players that would want to kick on and play for Christian. There are other players that would want nothing to do with this based on their personal experience or their emotional state. Yeah. There will be guys that will be motivated to play for Christian because of the alleged FaceTime call or whatever the, that they got the call inside the locker room. The Finnish players would say, I would assume obviously would be physically, it's a traumatic situation for everyone involved but it's not their teammates. So it's a different perspective. They're stepping on the field in a different perspective. Rights holders, commercial obligations, uh, fear of overlap. I, I, I can understand all of that from UEFA's standpoint. But for Denmark, this tournament is no longer about getting out of the group. This mm. tournament is no longer about the aspirations for winning. It, it, it's, it's not. The only thing for Denmark is that a game of football was played and thankfully Christian Eriksen's life was saved. Yep. They couldn't give a about that result. The, honestly. Some want to play for Christian Eriksen, some don't want to, you know, all of that. But they shouldn't have been given the choice. Yep. It shouldn't have been the option. It should have been, I know you want to play. We're going to do it in three days. But you can't because the tournament is now 700 teams across 900 countries yeah, and no. all these people have played for it. Yeah. And I don't mean to be funny, but I mean, we should have a, enough gap in the schedule slash schedule yeah. to be able to go, you know what, we're going to do this next week. But, and, yeah. and the other thing I think we should bring up is the humanity of football, the sanctity of the fan base and the way that they rallied around this moment in time. And more importantly, seeing the players react. Like how incredible was it to see Romelu Lukaku score that goal and run to the camera. Chris, Chris, I love you. To see Ashraf Akimi score for Morocco and put up the number 23. To see Homin Song score for Korea and sprint over and yell, Chris, I love you, Chris, Chris. You know, like these moments, the horrifying, horrifying, horrifying situation. But out of this, I think we, we've seen some of these moments blooming that are are really really important moments in time that I think are going to last forever out of out of a horrific situation there is there is some beauty 
that we're seeing come out of it. And um, I, I don't think we're done talking about it. I think it would be naive to assume that, oh, it's UEFA, so whatever, they move on. No, I, I think that from the broadcasting perspective, from BBC's perspective, from ESPN's perspective, from SiriusXM's perspective, we all are going to internalize this conversation and, and try to figure out going forward how to be better all the way around because I, I think it's a conversation that you have to hit head on especially after the visuals that we saw in Copenhagen. Right, some football chat now on this football podcast. I know, stunning, right? Uh, I want to talk a bit about Raheem Sterling uh, here and England's victory. Stunning, scintillating, <laughs> sizzling, sensational 1-0 <laughs> victory um, over, <laughs> over Croatia, <laughs> over the old boys of Croatia who have not changed since 2018, which in itself is probably a talking point, maybe not for today, but one team rejuvenated itself with a bunch of 20-year-olds and the other one is still said Luka Modric. Are you okay, mate? How many wheelchairs would you need to get around this field for the next four or five minutes? I don't know. But it was a great win for England. Um, but it, what I want to talk about here is how much I love being wrong about stuff. This is, this is my point on the England game. I right? enjoy because, this. Go ahead. Here's the floor. And this is something that I think everyone should start embracing a lot, lot more, right? And maybe it's because the industry we're in, maybe I'm in a good mood because I'm holiday, I don't know. But you're asked a question, and the question is, what do you think about England's team? Or should Raheem Sterling start? Or what do you think of Calvin Phillips' air style? You know, all these questions, they're going to bring you really divisive answers. And um, I don't think anybody in the world thought Raheem Sterling should start against Croatia. And I don't think any... uh, The pundits afterwards, yeah, you proved them all wrong. You didn't think he should start. Mm -hmm. Don't lie to me, Ferdinand. And I didn't think he should start. I don't think Raheem Sterling's had a good game in maybe six months. Looks nowhere near the player that a year ago I was on Grumpy Pundit saying how much I loved him and how brilliant I thought he was and how he was such a cornerstone of everything City was doing for whatever reason. And there were some telling answers, I think, in his post-match interview about him certainly saying how unhappy he's been for the last six months, for whatever reasons, be it personal, professional, I don't know. But something's obviously been happening that's seen Raheem Sterling drop off his performance. And there was a story last month that he is on the for sale list at Man City. But we can park all that as well for, for a later date. But I love the fact that I didn't think he should start. And I don't think that he should maybe even made the squad it's so bad as he been. I know I'm going to do a J-Links thing here, but look at their last six months. Look at put, their a last par- six months. put a parrot on your shoulder. Oh, my God. Fantastic, right? <laughs> Parrot on the shoulder, Deccan Rice shirt, DJing afterwards. Yeah. J-Lings for life, baby. <laughs> J-Lings for life. He's not even your player anymore. What are you doing? I don't need him to come back now. Okay. My love for him is undying and enduring forever you got a after, tattoo? after the last five you months. you get a tattoo? Tattoos are stupid in general. I'd never get one. But I've if got I, two, so thanks for the compliment. Well, you're an idiot. You shouldn't have got one. They all look crap. And when you do eventually get flabby and you can't get that mountain anymore and your heart rate you only goes on to shoulders. 100. Can't get flabby yes. on the shoulders. But if you then do the whole look at my back and the kind of back flab all comes in. Anyway, don't get tattooed. Yeah. It's up to you. That's on the side. Um, Tim, you have a tattoo. You have tattoos as well, don't you? Producer Tim's got them. Danny's got them. Idiots all around here. Um, I like to treat my body as a temple. I also ate 17 vegan sausage rolls this week because you can't get a good vegan sausage roll in Essex. <laughs> but in Woolacombe, oh, baby, they cater for the vegans. Don't you worry about that. Anyway, that back explosive. to Raheem Sterling. <laughs> uh, it's quite binding, actually. It's the exact opposite thing. I was so happy to see him firstly score in a major tournament at yeah. Wembley. And, and I know they harped on a lot 
about it was close to where he was born and grew up and all that. And that's, you know, fine. Fair enough. It's a cool story. It's a cool story. I heard it every 10 minutes. That's fine. You know, Euro 96 was great. I don't need to be reminded every 15 seconds by broadcasters. Uh, It was great. I remember it. Let it go. Okay. Gaza didn't turn it in. We didn't win it. Move on. But it was just great to see him come and prove me wrong in every conceivable way. Because that is what this is all about in the end. Mm -hmm. If everything I think is going to happen came to fruition... Life would be a very miserable place. I'm generally quite a miserable person. And I do have a very no. negative view of humanity. No, what? And uh, because of, you know, the things that have happened in humanity. Oh. But when something like that happens, I genuinely felt a sense of real delight because I'd said to a lot of people, I wouldn't start him. I wouldn't pick him. I wouldn't play him. Yeah. And I love the fact that he did everything that I didn't expect. He ran at defenders. He turned away from his man. He actually took a one-on-one chance. He wore the captain's armband for a brief period of time. And it shows me, what it shows me is, A, the conversation is worthwhile. Maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's interest, I don't know. But it's certainly worth having that chat, which is why I love sports talk radio and talk radio in general, because you have an opinion, it's proved right or wrong, you learn from it. And the next time it happens, maybe you you won't have that opinion. But also, it shows you that that manager, Gareth Southgate, has that faith in that player yeah. And when you get that manager, player, and this is manager, staff member, you know, if I ever had a manager that believed in me, you know, at your office and your whatever, not just me personally, but, you know, in general, you're going to have a better career. You're going to have For career sure. opportunities. Sure. And, and that's what it said to me. And maybe it, maybe it touched me in a personal way. I don't know. But the redemption story of him right now based on pure faith from that manager on that player. I thought it was great. And I was so happy to be wrong about Raheem Sterling this weekend. Tom, there's so many times as a player where you find yourself playing for a manager, playing for a team, and you look back in time and you say, God, if they only knew. I distinctly remember being in a team huddle before kick and, and the senior most player in that group, who was a World Cup player, we were literally arms around each other, you know, in that little huddle and basically saying, Despite everything he told us to do this week, we go out and we play our game. Despite all that conversation, all that prep this week, we play the way we know how to play. Mm. And we have to talk about the difference between a domestic manager and an international manager, right? The feel-good international manager is I'm bringing a group of guys together that will be the, the personalities are perfect for the locker room. They believe in what we're trying to do and they are all in and it doesn't matter for the next 30 days. This is our group. We are going to live and we're going to fight with each other shoulder to shoulder. Domestic campaigns are different. The longevity, the travel, the ups and downs, the, you know, the, those moments in time where the coach yells at you and you think, oh, he hates me now. Screw this guy. Whatever. It's, mm. it's just different. So for Raheem Sterling, I think it tells us a couple things. Number one, that the tournament itself and representing England, pulling on pulling on the England shirt is something extraordinarily special. Number two, Gareth Southgate's management of players continues to show us that he's the right guy for the job. Is he the yeah. best guy for the job? That's been debatable over time since he's been in the position. Thank you, Sam Allardyce. But <laughs> is he the right guy for the job? Yeah, I think he absolutely is. And listen, we, we can go in a bunch of different directions, right? We could talk about Trippier playing left back and instead of Luke Shaw and Chilwell being left out. We can, we can talk about the opportunity for Calvin Phillips and how fantastic his partnership was with Declan Rice and the way that they find that balance and the, that bite and the ability to play simple. 
and, and then ultimately, you know, should, should Jack Grealish be involved from the start or coming off the bench? And how good was Phil Foden? And by the way, Phil Foden really just started his breakthrough year, but the guy couldn't, the kid looks like he could care less about who he's playing against. Mm. All these things are incredible. Harry Kane, Harry Kane's involvement, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, in those moments in time, there's a slowdown and great ball from Calvin Phillips. There's no doubt about it. But Raheem mm. Sterling got absolutely walloped by Versalco, still gets his shot off. Uh, goalkeeper gets a hand to it, not strong enough to stop the shot. Fantastic buildup, fantastic goal from Stones to Calvin Phillips to Raheem Sterling. And you're right, it is a redemption because as much as we don't want to talk about it, there are these personal moments in time. And, and growing up, you know, two blocks from Wembley is an incredible story. Yeah. Because, you know, now, now there are going to be kids that are growing up in two blocks away from Wembley saying, he looks like me. Why can't I do that? There, that this was an iconic moment and it, it, it will be an iconic moment. Maybe not just for the, not for the game or maybe not just, you know, for England football, but for kids that look up to Raheem Sterling as an iconic person that they want to replicate. And I think that's also kind of the importance of, uh, the fact that he proved you wrong, the fact yes. that, you know... He, and he might have been wrong about tattoos as well, because he has got the tattoo of himself as a kid in front of Wembley Stadium holding a football on his, I think it's his arm, uh, and then he kind of scores the goal at Wembley. But then again, he could have had a nice picture on his wall, didn't he, tip on his arm. Tattoos <laughs> are stupid. Um, <laughs> do you read the Players' Tribune, Gareth Southgate uh, piece? I mean, it, no, I, I read it. Yet. No, it's, it's well worth It's well worth yeah. a read. I mean, it does read like you know, your best GCSE English student doing their end-of-term essay. You know, it's not written by one of the great scribes. But again, it goes to your point. Is he the best writer? No. Is he maybe the best tactician? I think he's got better, but I still would say probably not the best. But the right man at the right time for the right job, and it all bundled into as well. I'm not going to do a big piece on this, but there was maybe 20 idiots who had their little boo during the knee. But there was also, I don't know the full number, was it 20,000 think at Wembley? There was like 19,900 people who applauded it. And I, I think a lot of that, I don't know if it's bringing people on board. I can't really understand why people would boo it, but maybe anyone that might have considered doing it previously, they might have read Gareth Southgate's piece as the right man at the right time for the right job and gone, yeah, I'm not going to be an idiot this week. I'm actually going to be an intelligent, better person than I was last week. And maybe that is, is, again, the Southgate thing he's doing to all of us, to me, to you, to all right-hearted Englishmen and people around the world, and to Raheem Sterling as well. Tom, I wanted to touch on this little thing called uh, Gareth Bale, Sheridan Shakiri, or as I like to call them, the phantom stars of the first game of the Euros. God, where do I even start with this one? There, there's a line in here somewhere about the importance of these players for their respective countries. And obviously, Gareth Bale is the shining star when we talk about Wales. There's no doubt about it. Maybe not so much with Shakiri at Switzerland. But when you're talking about players that are capable in a split second of taking over a game, I'm not saying dominating 90-minute performances where there's nobody better on the field. But these the split you know these the split seconds these moments in time where you have difference makers you have absolutely different absolutely difference makers in your side and Gareth Bale and Sheridan Shakiri could and should be those type of difference makers but there's also kind of this conversation about 
well, they didn't really play that well, but do they have an assist on or a goal at the end of the 90 mm. minutes? Because that ultimately is how we judge these players, right? We judge them by goals and assists. We don't judge them based on too often the eyeball test. How many times have we talked about, man, he's um, Arnautovic. Man, Arnautovic, when he was at West Ham, God, yeah, that guy was really, really good. Yeah. But it's West Ham, right? He's the mid-table team. When I look at Shakiri, hit the arc of his career, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Stoke City, relegation matters. Oh, over to Liverpool. And and so when I when I watched that game for Switzerland the other day, I'm 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 watching it. I'm almost trying to will him into the game. Will him into You want taking, your phantom to have a moment. I do. I really do. And and just this burly chested, thick calved human being flying around the field with an exquisite left foot. And I'm always left wanting for more. And this is me. This is not him. This is an exquisite footballer. It's it's those moments in time as a fan where you're saying, my God, he's better than everybody else on the field. Mm. Why doesn't he just take over? And and how many times have we seen Gary? Well, why Bale? doesn't he? I'll answer that for me. Why doesn't he? It's not it's not in everyone's locker. That mentality is it his though? Is it his though? Isn't it? Uh, well, with, no, we would think because he's played that. But I can tell you, Tom, I played with so many players that are so much better than everybody else, and 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 it's easy. It's all it's you, almost you too easy. Yeah, well, that's me. That's why I got three kids. <laughs> um, it's too easy. They step on the field and they can do things everybody else can't. Like when they talk about it, like, how did you not see that? Like, what do you mean? What did you see? And he's like, well, the second run behind the defender on the right hand side, he was already taken off. So I, I know my first touch is to my left foot, and I've just hit a 60-yard no-look diagonal. Gareth Bale's a different animal, though, right? Gareth Bale mm. is uh, – I tell, I tell a story on Counterattack all the time. We were in Chicago for the All-Star game, MLS All-Star game against Real Madrid. Day before training, Sergio Ramos comes out, unit ripped, looks like he's a, a stunt double for 300. All the players are taking the field. Benzema cruises out. Gareth Bale walks out. Six foot two, six foot three, thighs and calves, unbelievable. He's got kind of goes in the skinny hips, and then it just goes into this V of a back. And he is just a unit, a physical god unit. And like I looked at Miola, and we, you know, you see players on TV, and then you see them like stand, you're standing mm. next to them, and you're like, oh my God, he is a specimen, mm. specimen. So, when you see what he did, and I, I still go back, my one of my favorite mo- moments in time with Gareth Bale is when he sent Mike Cohn for a taxi. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it, there's those moments where you can see an athlete capable of taking over and absolutely takes over. Players are at different stages of their career. I understand the context of this conversation, what I'm bringing up, but the eyeball test of players that are playing well versus stat lines of Sheridan Shakiri has now dominated every Switzerland result and been involved mm. in the last 13 of 16 goals that they've scored in international competition. That sounds incredible, right? But then what the reality was, he hit an in-swinger from the near side and Brian Bolo out-jumped the defender and scored a fantastic goal. Mm. And but we're Shaqiri gets that sweet assist number. And, and, and yeah, now we're talking What's about... What's his the- XG? Someone check his XG. It's, Is it's he XG a, champion it's of the world? It's a spot. It's this big. It stood just to the left-hand side of midfield, and it hasn't moved for 90 no. minutes. 
But it's just it's I thought it was a fascinating conversation because when we came out of Switzerland game and we're and then we're talking about Wales, we're we're talking about two superstars, right? Gareth Bale, the real superstar, Sheridan Security, yes. the paper superstar. But yes. when we come out of it, we're still talking about statistics as opposed to performances. But this is the thing with Zerdan Shakiri, isn't it? It's because he is the most Swiss player in the world. He's like a Toblerone, right? He's omnipresent at every airport you've ever been to, but nobody really wants a Toblerone, do they? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's no one's favorite chocolate. Maybe a bite. You know, in America, you've got your Hershey's, which is gross. No one should eat it. No. In England, we have Cadbury's, which you know, Cadbury's dairy milk, a silky, wonderful chocolate <laughs> that you should bathe yourself in. <laughs> Um, you know, those are your options, really, when it Cadbury, comes to premier chocolate. And um, Shakiri is essentially a Toblerone. And he was at the airport, and that was great. And it was part, and everyone gets a Toblerone when you get home. Oh, that's nice, wouldn't it? I've still got one from my last trip abroad, two and a half years ago, by the way, COVID. And um, no one's eaten it. Nobody wants it. But I've got 412s, as made by the Cadbury's company, and they're going to be gone by 6 p.m. this afternoon because I'm in holiday mode. So what I'm saying is Shakiri, Toblerone, Bale, the Twirl. And next week, we're going to reveal what other Phantom players are which airport chocolate. I want to finish with something fun because it's been a heavy show and I'm still in holiday mode, baby. I love the little car. Did you see the little car? Oh, my God. I love the little, the little car, car. Right? It looks better than the real car. It's so good. Right. So uh, let me take you into the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, one of the great arenas of football. And we've got this Italian national side who, by the way, Danny said last week, we're going to do some business in this European championship. And they were like seventh favorite when he said it. Uh, I think like third favorite now. I'll put them right up there with France. They were so good against Turkey, scintillatingly brilliant in that game. Uh, and they're going to do some serious damage. No one wants to play Italy. And the suits, I mean, bring Sharp. back bring back well-dressed men. Let's bring that back as a thing, <laughs> right? Let's. Br- I know I'm saying this in a Hawaiian shirt, but let's yeah, bring back well-dressed say. men. <laughs> Light jacket, dark trousers, white shirt, black tie, sweeping hair. Everyone's in the same outfit. Yes. I feel That's like he what came it with be. an unfiltered red too. Like you, and once you put the suit on, you had like an unfiltered and like a little cappuccino. Oh, I've, oh, just a little espresso. Yeah, just a little espresso cup. <laughs> oh, would have been so, so good. And a gold watch, yeah. like a gold <laughs> Rolex. Oh, <laughs> like, that would been, that's, that was what was missing. A thick gold watch and a chunky gold identity bracelet on the other arm. Maybe a couple of big diamond Noel Gallagher-esque rings as well, something like that. Oh, um, you know, th- bring back well-dressed men. One, that's out of the way. But then they have Andrea Bocelli. Now, I love Andrea Bocelli. Uh, my nan loves Andrea Bocelli. She went to see She's like nearly 90. And she went up to Glasgow to see him two or three years ago because, you know, his voice is transcendent. He's an incredible performer. And he does Ness and Dorma, which is the song for football in Italy, right? Pavarotti, Italia 90, all of that. And it's an incredible moment. And they built this drama up, this one-year delayed tournament, this Italian side who missed major tournaments recently because they didn't qualify. Suddenly, they're 20-plus games unbeaten. They might have a chance. The Italians know something that no one else but Brian Dunseth knows. The drama, the brilliance, Rome, balmy night, sunny day, fans in attendance, the end of COVID, and then just before kickoff, beep, beep. (laughs) 
What's that? Chiellini, what's it? It's a little car. It's a little car. Now, some of you might have seen this in Liga because they're sponsored by Uber Eats and they have a little Uber Eats car that delivers the ball. I don't watch Liga and I have things to do. But I have seen occasional videos of this. But this is the first time I've watched it. But I was so pumped, right? I was so pumped by everything they'd done to this point. Ness and Dorma, Bocelli. It was just my... I was so ready for this game. I'm ready to burst out across Europe. And then what happens is this little car comes on that's being, I'm assuming, driven by yeah. someone's daughter in the crowd. <laughs> and it just comes on all pathetic. You know, like they do a thing now with electric cars where they're trying to make them sound like petrol cars and they put in a fake. <laughs> so the macho men that care about that sort of thing with cars can put their foot down. The fake car does a fake sound that I assume replaces Cialis for them. I don't know. And then they can drive down the street in their electric car, but feel real manly, right? But it was sort of just pussy onto the field, like onto the field. And it comes on and you can see Chiellini's laughing. Everyone's laughing. What is this? What is this nonsense? But I was in absolute, let me tell you, hysterics. I found this hysterically funny. And not only was it funny, not only was it kind of a pitiful remote control car, it wasn't like a big, like, dumpster truck, monster truck. It was monster like a pathetic old Volkswagen. Yeah. It wasn't like Truckosaurus, like Robot Wars. <laughs> it was a garbage <laughs> little car. I don't know if he got over the grass. Um, but then I found it really odd. If they're trying to sell the car, and I think people probably yeah, have yeah, yeah. looked at it, and, I, you know, yeah. this is the idea of it. This is a model of the car. But they then basically took out half the car to put the ball in it. Yeah, the right? top. They ripped so the roof you, off. If the idea is that you're selling this car, what you're showing me is a family shouldn't buy this car because there's not enough room to put the stuff in, right? If you're going to do it, you build the car big enough to put the ball in the boot. And then you open the boot and the ball comes out and you say, look at that spacious trunk. That's the idea behind the car. I love you that you brought the car this makes up. Sense. I, I love that you brought this up because my wife and I actually went to go look at these. My my wife and I went to go look because at these. of because of Friday. No, 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 no. We did. We we they've got we did you. A couple they've months got you. Ago. In no, 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 it was a couple. You months bought ago. one, didn't you? No, no, a couple months Come ago. On. Didn't buy it. Didn't buy. It. You want to know why? Wasn't big enough. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> thinks was big we, enough. We had to change from. So we used to have a Ford Fiesta, and now we have a Ford Cougar, which is like. Double the size, a massive car, baby Does dog stuff, the all that. Cougar? Um, she prefers the Cougar as opposed to the Fiesta because <laughs> okay. she's a very attractive older lady. She listens to this podcast, so I hope she enjoyed that bit. That's going to get me either rewarded or punched. I'll let you know in next week's show. But you have to get the bigger car because you need the stuff. So if the idea is we're selling you this car because you will be able to fit enough stuff for the family in the car, yeah. make the toy car big enough to fit the ball in to prove you can fit it in the trunk. Otherwise, what you're showing me is this car is going to be pointless to you the moment you have your first baby. So is the idea this car is only good for singletons and sexy teens about town? Because any family, any mother or father looking at that went, we ain't getting that car. We can't fit any stuff in. What am I going to do? By the way, I've got three boys. I've got tw- going to be 12, 9, and 3, just when we talk about size of car, so that, that thing's not big enough. No. Um, 
all I kept thinking about, I was like, oh, that's a cool little new Volkswagen SUV going across. And I'm watching the front wheels going wee, 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 trying to navigate <laughs> all the all the grass, the freshly groomed, perfectly cut grass. It's like wee, 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 all the way out to the, but I'm thinking to myself, somebody had to practice this. So they had to clear field time for someone to figure out how to, they had, now it's a remote control. So think about all the other things that are on the same kind of airwaves or microwave waves, whatever, that somebody's out there, like, where's the guy standing? Where's the girl standing? What, what is it like that handheld where they just got the pointer gun in the side? Or is it like one of those controls where it's right in front of you? I, I'm thinking about all of these things. And then, you know, the ball delivers and, and it's like, let's kick off Euro 2020. And I'm like, where'd the Volkswagen go? Where, where'd it go? Did they like string it up and pull it off the front bumper? Like, where did the damn car go? How did it get off the field? Because I just watched it, it struggle with a ball. Exactly. Did someone pick it up? That's How did you don't know this? Did it that's drive what, off? That's what I was saying. Like, it took its time, its sweet time with the weight of the ball. Like, We've got to check the tape. I need to know. I need to know what happened to this car. And if it breaks down, if it already the boot isn't big enough, the trunk, it's not big enough. And then it breaks down. Yeah. Who's buying this car? No one's going to buy this car. And also, what I want to say is next time they bring the car on, and I hope they do for every time Italy play, or there's a game in Rome, I hope they bring Bocelli back. And he does like Ave Maria <laughs> as it comes on. <laughs> or like Time to Say Goodbye, another one of these massive hits. Like, when it, when it, oh, Ave Maria when it comes on. And then when it goes off, time <laughs> to say goodbye. Yes. Get really Can idea. we get Bocelli? Get him on the phone. How much did it cost? We haven't got the budget for Bocelli. Uh, it did remind me as well, though. I know we got to go, but it did remind me during the Olympics in 2012, back when England was a nice place to be, in the Javelin, they actually had a little mini Cooper. You know, the little, the, the British yeah, car. Yeah, 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 he yeah, was yeah. only supposed to pull the off. Uh, that car, that was Brendan Rogers, And they actually had a little mini Cooper, and that's where they parked their Javelins in the roof. And so they the used to put the, the Cooper in the roof of the Cooper, what, but it was, was a, it, it was a mini, mini Cooper. Oh, it was okay, a mini, okay. mini Cooper that okay. I don't think was Stationary. mobile. Stationary. I would need to check the tape and I've not done that much research, but I did see the picture and I remember it at the time they stuck their javelins in the mini Cooper and then took it out the roof. And so essentially what they were telling people is the mini Cooper, which comes in soft top is perfect for stabbing. That was what we learned <laughs> from the Olympics. And on that note, we say thank you to Brian Dunseth. Good work, mate. Same, same. Good to see you. I, I can't wait till we find out what your uh, the leaves on your shirt really yes. where they're from. Next week, I'll update you on whether my wife was either annoyed or aroused by our reference to her. What these what these leaves are on my shirt, and um, what was the other one? Chocolate. The no, the, oh, the, yeah. Oh, the phantom players. Yeah. So you yes. were doing the professional sports broadcast a bit. That's meant <laughs> to be my job. Uh, I've been Tom Rennie. He's been Brian Dunter. Tim produced the show, and I think he did a great job editing all this stuff out. Well, that was this week's Week in the Tackle. I know, I enjoyed it, and I'm sure you, uh, you know, heard it. Uh, next week, another show for you. Where we got, we might do some Copper America. Some stuff happened, I'm sure, in that we didn't get time to do. We'll do more Euros as well, because England will have beaten Scotland by then. And also, we'll find out what were the leaves on this shirt, what are the leaves on next week's shirt, and what Hawaiian shirt will Danny wear next week? I don't know. So much to learn before next week's episode, so make sure you join us. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you want to hear more of these, do give us a five-star rating. I noticed you've got some five-star ratings. Thank you, Mum, and indeed, Dad. 
Um, you can re- review us as well. Leave a nice lengthy review saying Tom Rennie is great and Gunny pulls him down. Um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you want, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us. A Week in the Tackle also available on the Sirius XM app, which is free for most subscribers. So if you do subscribe, download it today. Tap podcast. There's loads there, not just us, but do us first. Uh, for video clips of the show and loads more, Twitter, Instagram, the handle is at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's Program Director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts.